Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of The State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi. With me, as always, is Paul Gilieri. Paul, here we are, another week, another cocktail. Well, beverage yeah. of choice. I've got a, uh, I don't usually go for an IPA, but tonight feels like an IPA kind of night. Yeah, it's rainy, it's cold, it's the perfect night for a scotch, which is what I have in hand. I should have a bottle in here. You oh. should. All my bottles are in the house. Very Something un- to remedy. <laughs> very uncouth of me. Well, I actually want to say uncouth on the show. Yeah. No, I have. Um, before we get to the uh, the good stuff, please, you know, some housekeeping. Get on the old uh, app store there or whatever you got and uh, give us a rate, a review, a subscribe if you haven't already. I'm sure most of you have, but it'd be lovely if we could get some more of those. Bump us up the old, the old standings, as it were. Of uh, whatever genre we fall in, I don't know. Idiots are talking about music. It's funny. I belong to so many podcasts, and I can honestly say I have not rated and reviewed the vast majority of them. Me either. And it's 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 such an easy thing to do. It's it's a matter of seconds out of your day, and it's free. You don't have to spend a dime to do something like that. And in the beginning, I would always wonder, you know, why are the hosts constantly asking me? And this is the best one. Subscribe, unsubscribe, then subscribe again. I don't know what that's about. But uh, I guess so. I don't know. Um, look, here's the deal. And, and this is what I've come to realize. And okay, you and I, we, 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 have to, we, have to, we have to powwow over this, man. We need to start giving our listeners incentives to review Ooh. and rate. Because Background. the reality is that, yeah, uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> so those of you listening, yes. we are going to put some thought into this and we will give you some motivation. The motivation that you lack on a dreary, cold January evening here in Los Angeles. Unless, of course, you are in a completely different hemisphere, in which case it might be like 90 degrees or hotter and you're sticking to your clothes and you know your car seat and all that jazz. You know what? There are a couple of guys who live in a climate like that right now. Their names are Sergio and Luis. They are guitarists in the band Black Circle, and they will be joining us next week to talk guitar. The Sultan of Segway, Jason Carapace. Thank you very much. Uh, (laughs) I'm looking forward to this. We're going to have a blast. We're going to pick out uh, our best, not our best, but our favorite guitar moments from the last 20 years since the original, since the official Pearl Jam bootlegs became a thing. In the year 2000, for my Conan fans out there. Yep. Um, I'm excited. So that'll be fun. This week, though, an interesting idea. Uh, there have been some rock bands over the years who have decided that their three, four, five, six piece band wasn't big enough and they wanted to really flesh out the sound. And they chose to go and play with a symphony orchestra. Mm-hmm. Pink Floyd comes to mind. Metallica the bridge did it. Metallica, of course, twice actually. I'm sure there's many, many others. And we figured, you know what? Pearl Jam is a band that um, Scorpions. Scorpions. 
The Scorpions, you're right. Wow. How could I forget? What if Pearl Jam did this? They should do this at some point. It'd be great. And, you know, if we were asked what five songs in no particular order we would like to have featured and why, maybe we should have a list of those. And we will. And it's just a moment. But I want to hit one little piece of news that came out this week. You know, well, one of the things that kind of bugs me about <clears throat> the the Pearl Jam Facebook groups, and I love the people on there, don't get me wrong, and we have good conversations, but sometimes people get a little bored and they start <laughs> doing uh, topics that everyone has spoken about a kajillion times over. You know, who do you like more, Pearl Jam or Nirvana? What's your favorite song? What's the best song ever? And stuff like that. And it's like, okay. Although- in defense of those posts, they always have like 500 comments. So <laughs> it's, clearly it generates discussion. I don't know what to say. I, I, I mean, look, it, it's not surprising, but, but what we found is that these types of discussions don't just happen in, in these private forums that, or even public forums. They're happening in publications as well. Mm-hmm. There is a publication, a rock publication, very famous called Kerrang!, and they recently published their 20 best Pearl Jam songs, 10 through Gigaton. Really quickly want to rifle through it and get some just quick knee-jerk thoughts and we'll move on because it doesn't, that's not a discussion we want to have at this point in the show. Um, but I figure we should mention it because it's one of those topics that people like to come back around to every once in a while. Mm-hmm. So real quick, here's the top 20, 20 to one. Once. At number 19, 7 o'clock. Just for you, buddy. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, 18, Go. 17, The Fixer. 16, Daughter. 15, Man of the Hour. 14, Indifference. 13, Nothing Man. 12, Just Breathe. 11, Given to Fly. 10, Corduroy. 9, Elderly Woman. 8, Even Flow. 7, Rearview Mirror. Six, Better Man. Five, State of Love and Trust. Four, Jeremy. Three, Yellow Better. Two, Alive. One, Black. Paul, what do we think of this list? I think it was an expert exercise in going onto iTunes and filtering Pearl Jam songs based on popularity. Yeah, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, How the hell does Man of the Hour get on there then? Well, well I, I, I don't know. But uh, that's one I would pull off personally. Um, I, I, I get the seven o'clock love. That's there, there seems to be a growing movement I do behind not, that. I, song. I'll never understand the love for that song. Uh, well, well, that's, that's a separate conversation. I'm just saying top I get the love songs? for they have it. Like 200 songs. That's a top that, 20 song. Well, they're, they're doing 10 to gigaton. You got to have a track off. I'm personally, well, I would have done with, with like retrograde or something, uh, you know, which I think is actually arguably, well, it, to me, it's the best song on the album, but um, look, some things I won't argue with. For me, Black is the best song. Uh, so, so to have yeah, that. I mean, there, you get to yeah. a certain point, it's kind of hard to deny a song like Black or Alive. Uh, sure. I mean, you know, you look at the top 10. I mean, I, I don't know a lot of people that would have major grievances and take umbrage with, with what they have in the top 10 necessarily. But uh, I mean, just in terms of, of tracks, I would probably not agree with. You know, I would probably beg to differ on, on Man of the Hour. I've never really understood the. Uh, the great affinity for that track. It's, mm. It just doesn't really seem to go anywhere for me. Um, although I have an idea on how this, this soft 
strum misty-eyed contribution, uh, as the Kerrang describes it, could could, could get a, a, a lovely makeover. I have some thoughts on that. Ooh. But uh, <clears throat> aside from that, though, uh, the fixer, I think, is the most yeah. glaring track here that, that I think would would probably happen. I, I think, um, yeah, I think beyond um, the fi- beyond 7 o'clock, for me at least, the fixer is an odd one on there for sure. Man of the Hour as well. I mean, some of these you can kind of mix and match the the uh, the spot within the top fifteen to twenty, and you're going to be okay. It's just like I just wonder about these articles sometimes. It's like, how often is this going to happen? Like every is every four years, the editor goes, you know, we haven't done a while on top twenty Pearl Jam songs, and I just kind of have like a a list of bands that they have to kind of roll through every few years and redo the top twenty. It's like, what's well, the point? Well, I mean, this was posted on January nineteenth, but. Uh, Kerrang's asking you to read next. The next article they're trying to push you to are the 30 stages of Pearl Jam's evolution. That's more interesting. And, right. And then it's the 12 bands who succeeded by never selling out. Right. So, I mean, it looks like they're just kind of, looking you know, for clickbait. That's what it is. Looking, looking for, for clickbait and, uh, and whatever we clicked it. So, <laughs> sons of bitches. Yeah, exactly. All right. You know what? Enough of the Kerrang. I like Kerrang, but, I don't want to. Yeah, we're going down the rabbit hole here. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay. Okay. We're done with that. We mentioned it. It's a thing. It came out in the news. Tick the box. Move on. Or, or when you rate, review, and subscribe, you could drop us a comment on Facebook or Instagram or mm-hmm. in your review and let us know which of these 20 songs should come out and what you would replace them with. Why not? Go for it. Yeah. I'm down for that. that. That's a good way to, uh, you know, include the audience and, and have it a little interactive and flex your voice. Exactly. Okay. Let's do the business here. We're talking Pearl jam. If they were to play with a symphony orchestra, horns, timpanies, woodwinds, brass, the whole shebang harp. Let's get weird. You know, uh, maybe a gong in there. I don't know, but um, some songs lend themselves better to having that extra girth of music behind. Some don't. Uh, Paul, in my review here, I went kind of, you know, album by album and just kind of scroll through everything. I came up with a short list. And by that short list, I mean about 17 to 20 songs. Yeah, I'm with you, man. That, I've got about like, 20, okay. 26 or something like that. It's yeah, crazy. There are tons of songs that could really work. But as we discussed many, many episodes ago, if you were, you know, going along with Ed and Ed asked you, hey, making a set list here, give me five songs. I won't, I won't beat to them. They're in the show. Same thing applies here. You know, if you're given five songs, you know, it's not like an according to what. It's just these are the five songs. Put them in there somehow, please. And they would sound great. And here's why. So go ahead, Paul. Give me uh, one of your five songs that has to be played with a symphony if Pearl Jam were to do it. Before we do this, okay. can I ask uh, I, quickly? Yes. Uh, I'd love to know a handful of tracks that you would not ask for mm. that were at the bottom of your list. But if you saw, if this was an actual release and you saw those on there, you'd say, oh, you know what? That's kind of cool, right? You aren't necessarily clamoring for them. Like I, I'm just going to give you a, a handful of songs that I would be really stoked to see on there, even though they probably wouldn't make my first cut, and I would never ask for them necessarily. 
Okay. Okay. So man of the hour will be on, on that list. Okay. Uh, and I mentioned this, this is the type of facelift that I would give the track. I think it would really benefit from something like this, this type of a soundscape around mm. it. Uh, believe it or not, get right off riot act. Interesting. I could, I could see some really cool, um, string work happening in the background of this song. Um, as a matter of fact, I could see the violins act and the cello actually working in concert or in place of the rhythm guitar on this, on this track and just kind of playing Ooh. off Jeff's bass. I think they, 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 they could have some fun with this one. Um, ghost, but slowed down. Okay. I so, like that so, you're, ju- that you're altering the song as well as telling me. Well, which one right. And, and what, what gave me this idea was slowed down Lucan because I thought oh, well, yeah. if, that would also be a great addition to this, but if, if especially slowed down, but if they could um, find a way to kind of explore reworking some tracks, like Ghost or Get Right or even Man of the Hour. Mm. Um, Severed Hand would be another one. I think that could be really interesting. And then uh, t- two more of that for me, I would, I would love to see, but wouldn't necessarily ask for it would be All or None and Parting Ways, which, which I think would be perfect additions on an album like this. And, and I could totally see those two tracks, All or None and Parting Ways, actually being some of the last four or five tracks if they ever did do something like this. Uh, they just lend themselves so well to this that I wouldn't, be opposed to it and i actually look forward to it even though they wouldn't be on my list of five per se or even 10 or 15 all right well let me give you a couple then we don't want to spoil too many things here right Mm-mm. um here's one that i think could really stand to to gain from uh, from a symphony orchestra amongst the waves yeah i think it has a a way about it where it it could be lifted i mean we talk about amongst the waves and you think literally about how waves kind of lift and elevate it and bring you back down again. And I feel like For there's sure. a swell there. Um, I guess pun intended, uh, of, of stringed in, in brass and all that jazz. It could really kind of move that and in the crescendo of the song at the very end, it could be really, really nice. I think a song like fatal could really lend. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Um, that could be a really cool one. And I'll also go with, um, I think sirens would work really well with a symphony. Mm-hmm. That, that was already, on my my list of like 15 or so but uh but i'm with you yeah 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 it, it's at the bottom of, of my kind of like you know quote unquote short list but like, right same with me it, it would be same nice to have that so those are like the uh you know it'd be cool but you know not a need to have what's what's one of your five need to be included okay so five need to be included um i would say Comeback would be number five for me. Oh. Um, it's it's such a it is a sweeping song in its vocal performance. Um, I love the the kind of like bluesy, just um, love is lost feel to it. And uh, I think the ending would really soar with a symphony behind it. I, I think it's the it's the type of track that it doesn't need this, but man, like once you heard it with this type of a backing you'd say oh dude <laughs> like it's a if you look go back to um uh outlaw torn right oh, yeah that that's the type of track where you say okay love the song but then or even bleeding me both of those for example were great tracks on their own but there was something about they were the way they were elevated with the san francisco symphony that to me there's standouts like that and so for me a, a song like come back i think would really benefit in that way 
It's funny you mentioned Comeback because I looked at that initially and thought, okay, that's got to be one of them. And I started listening to it again. And I was like, you know, I wonder if it's almost too bluesy and too breathy to to need that or if, if the strings wouldn't fit with that kind of horns, genre buddy. horns think bluesy and horns then you can add on at the end you can add in the strings but yeah so as you were talking about those two metallica songs which are a little bit more bluesy based in their in their in their groove mm-hmm. um both from load uh it makes a little bit more sense to me i'm like oh shit you're right that could really really work that's a good shout okay i like that I'm going to go kind of obvious right out the gate to get one out of the way. Better man. Oh, I toyed with the idea of choosing the organ guitar version only because Mm -hmm. it could be incredible. And I know Mm -hmm. how much you love that version. Right. I was like, well, the way the drums and the secondary guitars elevate with Ed's vocals, um, the intensity is just something that I'm not sure a symphony could do in the same way by themselves. As great as that version, I think, would be, um, epic songs lend themselves best, and a few Pearl Jam uh, songs are more epic and built up than Better Man. And right. you think about Brendan O'Brien's organ play there, and really it sets a great foundation for strings to kind of swarm around the guitars. So it seems like an obvious choice to me. It's it's one of those things where if they played this kind of concert, it's probably going to be there anyways because it's a, it's a hit. So... It made a lot of sense to me. Better man, gotta have it. I hear you. No argument there. It's not in my top five, but no, no argument. Um, I think for me, number four would be retrograde. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it is the type of song that I've been gushing over pretty much any any time we speak about it. Yeah. And uh, it, it's already an epic track, and it gets progressively more and more epic uh, the deeper into the track you go when you listen. And and I feel like give a conductor this track and say, all right, you know, or a composer, pardon me, and say, have have some fun with this, and you'll hear something that'll blow your mind, man. So I I would love to hear this song. If, if, if this doesn't bring me to tears listening to it, <laughs> I'll be shocked. So, I mean, it, it's a heavy ass song, right? Yes, it is. Think about okay. So right at the beginning, Mike's twelve string is it's a signal that this song demands breath. Yep. You know, that's what a twelve string does. It, it it widens the sound that you're going for, the, the melody you're going for, the the chords you're playing. So think about how the last two minutes of this song is just an absolutely epic. You know, moments. It's a sonic boom, man. It, it is, and you, you know, it's a song about saving the world from destruction, from human destruction, and it warrants a cinematic masterpiece. And yeah. while the song goes a long way on its own, a symphony would just push that catharsis right over the edge for me. Completely agree. Yeah, excellent choice, excellent choice. Uh, I'm going to go a little off the beaten path here, and I'm going to go with Army Reserve, my friend. Uh, I love that. Very cool. Listen to the background vocals in the chorus and tell me that that shouldn't be a massive string section. Ooh, mama. Put some headphones on. Go listen to this track again. I'm telling you. The outro is essentially the verse section without vocals. And I can see the orchestra really adding a whole new layer, almost like a guitar solo on steroids in place of where those vocals used to be 
earlier in the song. And the song has such power behind it lyrically, but the music is more of a bed than something that wraps around the vocals. So you right. just you add those, those strings and, and the brass and all that, and it's just going to be this huge, wide, gaping song that that's that's perfect for the vocal delivery and in the content of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Love that. Great take. What do you got? Okay, so for me, I think number three here. What did I go with before? I went retrograde. I went comeback. Yeah. I'm going to have to go rearview mirror, I think, with mm. this one here. And, and, and the reason I say that is because the ability for this track to just pulsate, the more into it you get, especially towards the end there, it, it it's arguably the most epic fast paced song that they've ever done like it's it's very sweeping in its scale and the subject matter alone which we've talked about at ad nauseum but if you think about the way that song builds up towards a as you as you called it a crescendo towards the end can you imagine like just just the string section horns the, the, the brass all that in the background playing with it i mean it would and then eddie singing on top of it man it would it would be crazy or if Eddie's like, man, I don't know if I can hit those notes. Just bring Lenny on stage for this one. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think I think the ending is the is the part where the strings and everything would really shine. It kind of reminds me how um, to come back to Metallica again when they played Battery. It's it's a that, that's yeah. a hard you know thrash metal song with a symphony behind. Like, how is the symphony going to make that song? It does because it augments the the ang- anxious kind of tension that the, that the fast part that fast outro essentially especially um creates and so think about this song and just that over and over again over again like this is three different chords i think and so you have this kind of simple but fast outro that the strings could dance all over and it just mm-hmm. that could be super super cool great choice great choice um I want to stay with something that's fast. Whipping. Oh, interesting. I'm surprised. Uh, whipping yeah. does not seem like a song that you would have a symphony to. No. Um, but like River Mirror, I think of Battery. And I think of that craziness and how a symphony could go right on top of that. Because it's only four chords over and over and over again. Right. And... I can hear violins being plucked along with the cellos being bowed in the verses and the bridges lend themselves to like a massive build to climax back to the verse from the symphony. It's got, it's a simple song just because it's fast and it's hard and it's rocking doesn't mean it couldn't take a symphony to again, widen it out because it's very direct. It's very narrow. So much in the same way that River Mirror could could be helped by this, I think whipping would be a super interesting way to take the subject matter and a very straight ahead rock and roll song and just widen it out. Right. Well, my last two picks here, they're, they're going to be pretty boring. I'll go with number two first. I say they're boring because they're two of my favorite songs. And yep. anybody I know listening, to, yeah, exactly. So Nothing Man's number two. There's one. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it's just, it, it's such a, a beautiful, tragic track and and i feel like an orchestral section behind it would just add to the gravity of that loss and and you know the existential sadness that comes with it 
uh, th- th- this this revelation, as it were. So I would uh, I would say that by far would be number two for me. And, and if Eddie said, "Look, you, you get two tracks. What are they going to be?" This without even thinking, this is the second one that I yeah. would ask for. Yeah, so. yeah, I, I can't I can't disagree. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't put it in my list only because I knew you would. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> like, diversify our portfolio over here. You know, what I'm I hear that. I hear that. <clears throat> um, I've got. I wrote notes for like eight songs or so, just to see kind of where you were going with this, because I I didn't want to kind of double up if we didn't have to. And I've got a few left, and I know you're going to take one of them. So I have kind of two to choose from to go okay. with here. I feel like. I I, feel, I I will mention the other one in a minute, just because as an honorable mention. But this the song that has to be included is release, and mm. think about it: the violins and the violas follow Stone's droning D arpeggio, right. while the cellos and basses follow the chord changes that Jeff does. You add in the woodwinds and the brass, and this simple yet cathartic anthem is elevated somehow yeah. to another level. Mike going nuts. With the with the wild lead line over the cacophony of sound over fifty musicians and Ed wailing at the end and the outro there, uneffing real. Yeah. So I don't know how this song wouldn't be better. I mean, it's an incredible song. We all love this song. Think of fifty musicians kind of just layering on top of all of this, and it just becomes this absolute monster. Oh, it'd be a rock orgasm, dude. I mean, <laughs> think of the last two minutes of retrograde, but like yeah. for six minutes. <laughs> and oh, Good lord. <laughs> you know, and, and how that's going to feel. And there you go. That's, for me, release. And the only way I could think of release being top is with black, there which is go. my number one. There and it, uh, it, it, it's really hard to even describe this because it's try. I mean, yeah, you some time I don't here. know exactly. Uh, you know what is it? Ballad and E is that what Stone called yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just just bring in the strings, man. Uh, I look it. Everything about this track is just ripe for something like this, especially the verse. Okay. Each verse, really, I think, it, 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 similar vein that you get with, with a song like Stairway to Heaven, where you start off with the, the, the guitar, and then little by little, the drums come in, and then just things escalate. Black does that, but I think you, you could add the escalation with the symphony in the background, and you could leave the rest of the instrumentation as it is. But uh, Or maybe they rework it somehow. I mean, at, at whatever they want to do, they're not. you can't go wrong with this. That's mm-hmm. the beauty of it. I mean, you, whether you rework it or, or however you want to do it, whether it's Ed singing the way he sings it now or Ed singing the, the way that he sang it 20-plus years ago, it, it's going to smash. So it, to me, it, it's the type of track where um, I've always – dreamt of hearing it in this setting mm. if you gave me one song this would be the one i would want i've been wanting it for years i think that there's a it's not a bridge school version but there's a it might have been an 09 when they toured with with some strings but the, mm. there is a version out there where you hear some strings in the background it's not a very good audience recording of it and it's 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 too sparse it's almost it doesn't have the gravity of a symphony and i think that's what this would deserve so I don't know. It, it, it's hard to really. I, I can't imagine a Pearl Jam song, anyone in the catalog, topping what could be achieved with this track and a symphony. Not much for me to add, I, I, but I will because 
we got time. Um, mm-hmm. The melody that Stone has going on is filled in so nicely by Rick Parisher on the piano and the organ in, in the verses right. there. And then, you know, uh, Mike comes in with his little Hendrixy fills that he does. Mm-hmm. And all the little gaps are filled right around Eddie's vocals. It's just a perfect little, like, puzzle piece um, as you add the layers, as you mentioned. And it's just right there for a string section to lay a nice little blanket for everybody to lie on, you know? Mm-hmm. Then, once we get to that climax, right before the big outro solo thing, it's like that blanket lifts everything up, up, up. And look at that. A massive give me mountain. 15 violins going. Oh my God. <laughs> it and like nuts. Six nuts. harmonies, you know? Yeah. This, this mountain of music has formed with Mike and Ed at the summit trading emotions and, and wailing. You know? And excuse the mixed metaphors there, but it's just crazy <laughs> epic. Yeah. I mean, come yeah. on. Right? It, it, uh, yeah. It goes to the uh, show. It, it it probably would, or release release would most likely open it. Uh, they they close it with like something like Party Ways or All or None. I know that, but they just go weird off the beaten path with the way they want to finish it, maybe. But um, I'm with you. It, it's you really can't top it, and so we're not going to try and top it. But I would love to know some honorable mentions from you. You don't have to give me notes on them, but if you have notes, I'd love to hear them. Just a couple of tracks that. Wouldn't like let's say Eddie was like, hey, I hate to break it to you, but like almost all of those are already on the set list. Like I was, they're already there, bro. Do you got anything else for me? Like what um, else would you would you throw on there? I'll mention just a couple of things. Um, I think something like, I think you, you'd probably have to sit, have a live on there. Um, mm-hmm. I think I am mine could be cool. Ooh, I did not. I like that one. Thank you. I um. I put wish list on my like long list, but I honestly don't think that no code or yield lend themselves really well to this format. Oddly enough, but I did have a song here that I was kind of trying to find a way to get in my top five that I could, really couldn't. And that's parting ways. You mentioned it earlier. Yeah. It's an epic song and it it, it's, it's simple. It's got this slow build, but it lives within a box and it doesn't much straight out of it out of its kind of two chord bass. And this lends itself to an orchestra adding all kinds of dynamics around it. Mm. There is a cello and a viola on this song that you can hear. And it's really, really nice. But imagine the full complement of strings and horns elevating that ending. I mean, it, right. hell, it might not ever end if the symphony kept on building that E chord. Yeah. I mean, it could just be like this cacophony and just all of a sudden there's feedback. And maybe that's how you end the show instead of black. I don't know. But I think that would be kind of like that, actually. <laughs> it could be great. So, uh, yeah. what, what would you have that kind of just? I had I had four here. I'm going to throw at you. So one of them you mentioned yield. Given to fly, man. I, this song would be given to fly if you put the, you put a symphony behind it. I could see it working. I just I, I don't know. It was. I, just, I I think I actually think it would work very very okay. well. Um, thumbing my way. I'd love to hear. Uh, not overkill though. I think you'd have to be a little softer, you know, may- maybe get some, some fiddle work in the background because it kind of has a, a bit of like a, you know, a man and his guitar feel to it. You yeah, know, that's what I was thinking. But then I thought, well, how could you play this up though? And I think the subtleties of the way you would play it up are, are where it would work very, very well. Okay. Um, you know, just, just adding in kind of more of a 
symphonic sound, but, but make it a bit more rustic, almost not bluegrass, but just kind of bring in something that has more of like an Appalachian feel to it in the background. Like a washboard and a jug. This is daddy's thinking music. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. You know what? That reference right there is for, for Brandon Palomo. There you go. Every single episode that he does, he puts a Simpsons quote on this. That's for you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd go, I'd go inside job. I think Ooh, that yeah, song. That was one of my throwest, like, I don't know how, why I didn't have notes on that one because it's incredible. That would be incredible. It, it, it would be, it would be. And then the last one might surprise you, but imagine quick escape. I can see that. Imagine like, and here's why, like think of uh, for whom the bell tolls mm-hmm. with Metallica, the way the violins complemented the guitars when they get, they go into that riff, dude. Just imagine just the main riff of Quick Escape. Dun, dun, ch- 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 I mean, and then you get the, the, the strings over the top playing the same same Shit, notes. Now I'm excited for that one. Yeah. Now that I think <laughs> about it. It's pretty epic, man. Because like literally I went to Gigaton and I was like, I kind of like scrolled through. I'm like, ooh, obviously retrograde. Got to hit that one. Mm. And then for some reason, I just kind of moved on to the next album. I didn't really pay much mind to the rest Wouldn't of the album. Wouldn't it be cool though? I mean, if they just kind of. No, but you're right. That's the thing. You're right. Oh, man. We could just make the whole set list. That's what that's what we could do. I did. So did you. Okay. <laughs> we, we, Pearl Jam is we, sorted. We did. We did. It's sorted. Yeah. It's sorted, guys. We got it here for you. Done and done. All right, guys. Well, let us know what you think. Um, I'm sure we missed. I mean, we we fucking said like 25 songs. Yeah, so it's like, not like how we did. How we left needed. out. <laughs> like one thing though, to those of you listening, I'm totally cool with you guys throwing "Unthought Known" at me because I'm all about that song here as well. Just breathe in the end. Like they're already backed. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you know, I, I heard that. And so to me, it's like, I'm sure they would be included, but I don't think it's going to add anything to the song that we haven't already heard. And I, and I feel like that's, that's part of the reason why those ones would be, wouldn't be on my list, even though they probably would actually be on an album like this. I had the exact same thought process. I literally made a note to myself. Don't include these two songs because we've already heard it with, the mm-hmm. strings that are on the album. And that's enough. I don't know that, we, yeah. that those songs require more, no. but uh, yeah, g- give us a shout. Let us know what you think. Uh, what have we missed? What did you completely disagree with? What do you agree with? Got a better idea? Let us know. Let us know why. Um, looking forward to that. Also looking forward to this week's lyric of the week. And Paul, this week's lyric of the week comes from one of the songs we mentioned Oh my God, it's like we drew it up. Mm. It comes from Versus. It's Rearview Mirror. Paul, I'm going to let you tee this thing off. What do you got with the Lyrica selection that we've chosen? I believe it's the second verse, right? Yes. Second verse into the chorus there. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, this one's tough because this idea that, you know, race relations in this country are suddenly on the mend and the country's moving in the right direction. It's been what, like three days or something. I mean, it's like, (laughs) well, by the time you listen, this has been more, but we still have a long way to go. And four years from now, we will still have a long way to go. And I I feel like when you listen to a song like this, um, it's just this idea that you, and these, these words continue to ring true, united by fear, try to endure what I could not forgive. And, and, and I think that that right there, trying to endure something that you can't forgive, you know, because grievances, misgivings, trials, tribulations, these things happen. And it's really easy to take a step back and say, I, I can't forgive these people or you or, or whomever it is, is responsible or whoever I should say is responsible. But, but how do we endure beyond this? How, how, because at some point, like you have to be willing to compartmentalize and say to yourself, we can sit around and stew over this all we want, but like, how do we move forward? You know what I mean? Like, how do we move forward? And that's really very much what the song is about is looking and seeing this in the rear view mirror and saying, I'm, I'm going to move, move forward here. And, uh, it, it, I mean, I, I could go on, but I want to, I want to bounce it back to you because I'm curious if some additional thoughts I have, it might actually play well off of, of what I think you're going to, what, you, what I believe you're going to say here. Um, yeah, probably. I'm going to start micro and work my way to macro. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the original intent, if I can assume <clears throat> abusive relationship, it's something that uh, no one should have to endure. And yet it's incredibly common. Duh, not breaking ground there. But the imagery here is very haunting. And anyone who's ever been abused understands exactly what Ed is saying. Right. Oftentimes what hurts the most is how we're affected mentally and emotionally over the physical physical wounds usually heal much quicker than the, than the internal ones. There's been a long struggle in our society to appreciate and destigmatize mental health problems, how many mental health issues uh, have we had to deal with for decades that were, born from physical and verbal abuse. I mean, think about parenting decades ago, be a man, don't cry, that kind of stuff. Or think about how we've treated women and still do to an extent, belittling and marginalizing them and rape, other domestic abuses, which is possibly maybe what the subject is talking about here. Unfortunately, we still have these problems. And for some, it's a relapse, a a PTSD of sorts. Now think about this thing on a macro scale. This imagery could symbolize a group of people still being actively targeted and brutalized. Think of the Black Lives Matter movement. You taught, you mm-hmm. touched on in, or alluded right. to George Floyd and the well, in the countless people, all of their names. Um, the oppression of some groups of people throughout the world. I mean, think of the Uyghurs in China, for example. Mm-hmm. So, so many people or so many of these groups and people are trying to endure what they cannot forgive until finally a change is made. And, you know, the only question once the subject has gotten far, far away is will they try to forget 
or will they be vengeful? And I tee you up with that question coming back to the macro of right. the state of affairs we are in now. And I will, I will, this one little news bit came by today. It's probably going to feel old to everybody else listening to this because it's a couple of days away, but the U S Senate leadership in the Democrats, uh, Liz Warren, Bernie Sanders told the Republicans that if they don't push through the stimulus plan that president Biden has asked for, that they're going to make their lives a living hell and they're going to ram through things like a, like a gauntlet. And I said, Hey, look at that. Democrats with it, with a pair of balls. Look at that. But the point is, is that they are, they are being vengeful about it. They aren't forgetting. They aren't letting it go. Like maybe some Democrats of the past. And so, you know, I open it up to you. You know, is this where you were going with this or what does this mean? Uh, Yeah. I mean, essentially I was pushing in a similar vein. I was thinking a lot about January 6th Mm. and, uh, it's been on my mind a lot. I, I've had some really deep conversations with some good friends, you among them. And, uh, you know, just talking a lot about the fact that we, in our lifetime, actually witnessed an armed insurrection at the Capitol, which is something I never dreamed would actually occur here outside of Hollywood. It's in a textbook. Yeah. That's, that's where it lives, in a textbook, not yeah. in your reality. So I saw this interview and uh, it was with a an FBI official talking about the fact that they really don't have the best means to prosecute this type of domestic terrorism. You know, like there's not laws on the books that really facilitate and empower the FBI to to kind of look at a situation like this and say, okay, yeah, we get it. Vandalism, trespassing, this, that, uh, but there's a bigger issue going on here and, and these people should be, you know, 20 to life or these people need to be made an example out of. So this way in the future, nobody will think they can do this or, or attempt to incite such a thing without severe consequences. And it's unfortunate because the constitution clearly outlines that this, this cannot and should not happen. You would think that we would have laws that are congruent with that and would enable legislation already to be put in place to deal with this type of a situation. And for whatever reason, apparently we don't. And so I was kind of thinking united by fear, tried to endure what I could not forgive. Okay. So clearly what we saw happening on January 6th was a group of people united by fear. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here we are asking ourselves, well, how, how as a country are we supposed to endure this? Because to me, what we saw was unforgivable. Much of what I've seen in the last four years is, is borders on unforgivable. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the question then becomes, you know, and you, you raised it, do, is it a, a, an act of vengeance you know, or do we just look beyond it? And, and, and I, don't, I think it's more in the middle. I think it's, it's doing exactly what you mentioned, which is saying, look, it's not about doing this out of vengeance. It's about doing this in the name of progress. So we see a path towards prosperity and what we're going to do here is we're going to we're going to create a path in the same way you created one for disparity which is we're going to use leverage we're going to use um influence and we're going to use majority and we're going to push forward legislation that actually creates prosperity and we're not going to sit here and play nice while we do it 
because we had to sit on the sidelines passively watching gerrymandering and a minority bullying approach to, and when I say minority, I don't mean ethnic racial minority. I'm yeah. talking about minority in numbers in terms of Senate and House representatives. And so it's really, really difficult to kind of sit back and say, hey, we vote for folks who are promising change. Grow a set, go in there and do your job. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like enough of this, this um, collective mind beehive of of thinking that this is the way politics work in Washington. That belief of thinking you know how politics works was completely upended yeah. in 2016. And, and it's continually been. That was the whole point. It's like, point. it's time to change the approach. So, because others have, and they've been doing it at, at, at your expense for a while now. So, you know, if you want to start working for constituents, if you want to start, in, you know, enacting measures that are going to produce real change and start helping people, I mean, that's, I don't even care who is in power, to be honest with you, pro provided that the ultimate goal of the platform is to truly help people, not exploit, take advantage of, you know, plunder. Well, look at this. Just head at your feet, foot to your crown, fist on my plate, swallowed it down. That's, that's what a lot of different groups have experienced over the last handful of years. Agreed. Agreed. So now that the shoe's on the other foot, what do we see? Finally, we are driving away. The, the, the shades have raised. That time, those certain people are in the rearview mirror, but it, that, that, that place isn't gone. Right. Is the car going to run out of gas? Or are we actually driving to a new destination? That's what we're going to find out. Yep. Let's go to our live cut of the week. Okay, Paul, rear view mirror, going back in time, early years, where and when? Boston, my friend. Boston. April 12th, April 12th, 1994. Uh, anybody who bought the Versus Vitology Deluxe set has this cut. Uh, this particular show was, was, was part of that package, and, and it was chosen for a reason, the Live at the Orpheum show. It's an extraordinary set. Um, Really cool early version of Immortality on there as mm. well. This is just some great stuff on there. But this particular version, actually for me, supersedes what had been, I thought, the best version, the one from Atlanta in 94. I, I just think that the mastering on this is exceptional. And I will say, though, that the, the new mastering that we got from Atlanta 94 has vaulted that version of rear view, rear view mirror up, pardon me. And, and it certainly gives us one run. For I was going to say, but, but I, I do still feel like this particular version, I think a, a big part of it too, is just, there's, there was something about um, this performance from Ed in this track. And, and I, you know, you look back at that, that time frame, um, and, and you think about how things were different. You know, you, you think about when when this particular show happens, mm -hmm. April 12th, okay? It's just a couple of days after Kurt Cobain kills himself. Yeah. And so you, you talk about, you know, abuse, right? Abusive relationships, conflict, um, putting things in the rear view mirror. I just, there's so much going on in, in the mind of, of every member of the band at this point in time that I think bordered on existential because they, they looked at a band that had eclipsed even them at that time. And, and they 
the, the lead singer of the band that just burns up in the sun. You know what I mean? And so here they are at the apex of their popularity and they're thinking, okay, where are we, where are we on the same trajectory here? And I feel like this particular version of Rearview Mirror was supercharged because of that. And you hear it in the mat and the, the, the sound mastering, you hear it in the performance. It just, the whole aura of the song, I think just really carries a whole different gravity based on, on the timing of the show. So for me, it, it's the best cut. All right, let's go uh, to Boston, Massachusetts and the Orpheum Theater for April 12th, 1994.
So it's interesting that you bring up the um, the fact that it was only a few days after Kurt Cobain killed himself because mm-hmm. just a couple of nights later, they played Saturday Night Live, famously played three songs instead of the usual two, one of which was Rearview Mirror. And if you recall, closing credits, you know, Ed's there and he opens his, his shirt and he's got a t-shirt that has K over his heart and he kind of pats it. Mm-hmm. It was on their minds. Yeah. So what's interesting about this cut is that and it's on YouTube, some like home video mixed with the soundboard that we got from the box set. And it it's really kind of in the pocket. It's really close to the album version. And there's no, there's not a lot of dynamics from Ed. And I wonder if that's just on his mind because you can see him. He's, he's doing the song, but he's not as bombastic as he usually could be. In fact, the only person that's really that bombastic is Dave at the very, very end. Right. Otherwise it's kind of really tight. The interlude is not long. It kind of just sits in this little pocket. It doesn't kind of change tempos or anything. It's, it's a tight performance, but it's kind of just like right there in the pocket. And so I was like, well, I wonder why Paul's choosing this. When you, when you spoke about Kurt Cobain, it's like, Oh shit, that's right. It's a much heavier version mm-hmm. because that's on everybody's mind. And so if and lyrically, doesn't that run parallel? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. so it, it just, it's congruent, I think with the heaviness of the lyrical content. And so there was actually something that seemed to manifest itself in those lyrics that day. Yeah. I don't know. It's so just to trim it. Not, not, there's really not a bad version of this song. Of you know what I mean? At least that, but the, this one really stands out for me. Well, gang, uh, that's this episode. And I have to remind you that next week, it's going to be a real treat. Sergio and Luis from Black Circle are going to come on. And we're going to talk about our favorite guitar moments from the last 20 years of live shows. How did we go through all these shows? I don't know. But somehow we did. And we've got uh, we've got some thoughts. So come back for that. We're talking guitar next week. So if you're a drum guy and don't care about guitar, then maybe you skip this one, but you probably shouldn't. But guitar (laughs) players, you're going to love this. We're going to nerd out on guitar. It's going to be great. Uh, So that's next week. And uh, more interesting stuff to come after that. So until next week with the Black Circle Boys, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Trust.